Hey sis, hey bro, I'm Arcia and I'm so excited to share space and time with you. A Note From Stokes is a podcast for black and brown millennials as we navigate the world in which we occupy. Let's get into it. Hey y'all, this is Arcia and I am so excited to be with all of you. I hope that you all are well and healthy and in good spirit. I am so excited about this particular episode. This is episode nine entitled, So You Want a Doctorate Degree. I am here with two powerhouse women who I'm just so excited to have them be able to join in this conversation and just really shed some insight on the process and all the ebbs and flows that is accompanied with pursuing a doctorate degree. Um, So let me get out the way. We have Deja Jones and Yolanda Jackson. Hey, y'all. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey. Um, let's just jump right into this episode. You guys know that I love to start an episode with a definition, so just to kind of ground ourselves. So what is a doctorate degree? According to U.S. News, a doctorate degree is usually the most advanced degree someone can get in an academic discipline, according to higher education experts. So could you, let's start with Yolanda, could you, def- what, what is a doctorate degree, what does that mean to you? It means the ghetto. Um, that's what <laughs> so um, if it depends on, um, you know, the person you're talking to, right? So some of our colleagues might call it the academy. Other colleagues call it post-secondary education, the ivory tower, right? It is the highest level of education that one can get like this um, uh, definition offered in a particular academic discipline. But it's not confined to just, and this is where a lot of people get it mixed up, it's not just the PhD. There's also an EDD. There's a PsyD. There are medical doctorates. Um, whether people believe it or not, even a law degree, a juris doctorate, is a doctoral degree. And so the breakdown of academic discipline and the accolades that comes with it um, is what brings the diversity to academia at that level of education. Let me stop you, sis, because I'm so glad that you incorporated my degree that I'm pursuing <laughs> at EDD because we get into these conversations about what degree is better than, you know what? Well, let's come, let's revisit this. Let let let's let Deja define because we we go on somewhere. With this, right, okay? it's the ghetto though. Right. No matter what, <laughs> it's the hood. Deja, what 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 does it mean to you? What's a doctor doctorate degree to you? Um, I guess for me, it means that I I know like master. People say, oh, I mastered it. I feel like with a doctor degree, it really means that you really master like your field. Like you're the expert in yeah. this field now. And so whether it's education, business, sociology, social work, like you have a level of expertise that you're bringing to the field that's either contributing to a trend or you're creating a trend or you're rectifying a trend that Mm. was inaccurate. And so I just feel like with a doctorate degree, it just means that I've taken like all the steps that I can take. It's like meeting Bowser in Super Mario. Like, <laughs> once you master that level, like, the game is over. <laughs> game <Thanks>. over. <laughs> so, you know, compared to other race groups, black women are the most educated, right? And black women are also starting to outpace other groups in earning degrees. Um, I was reading something and it said, um, although black women only make up 12.7% of the female population in the country, they consistently make up over 50% of the number of black people who receive post-secondary degrees. Percentage-wise, black women outpace white women, Latinas, Asian, Pacific Islanders, and Native Americans in this arena as well. So my question for the both of you, how does it feel to be in a 3% percentile? What What does that feel like? Deja, let's start with you. Um, it's so weird because I know, like, the current stat in the campaign that I've been seeing is that black women are 3.1% of U.S. earning doctorate. And I'm just kind of like, every day on Twitter and social media, I celebrate another black woman getting admitted into the academy. And so it's kind of like, how accurate is that Mm. percentage, like, today, like, 2022? But at the same time, I also feel proud to be a part of a very small percentage of women who are pursuing, you know, the highest level of education that they can get. So whenever someone asks me, should they do it? I always say yes. Um, It's not easy, but yes, Mm -hmm. because I feel like we're built for it. But at the same time, I'm just also like, I'm thinking about the research. Like, I think a lot about how when you get to these doctorate programs, they're very research heavy, very research mm-hmm. focused, and they end up contributing to 
a larger body of like data and so a lot of this data ends up in communities um through social intervention programs and i just think about how with us being such a small percentage what that looks like actualized in our communities Mm. like who's really leading the charge and policy and other things that we need in our community if we're only 3.1 percent and so I wear it with pride. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm gonna be one of those annoying women though that just is doctor. But oh, well, since <laughs> I am, I'm sorry. I am. After I turn my, well, I don't have to turn my tassel because it's already turned. Right? <laughs> when they confirm me, when they, when, is, you, when you get hooded, when you get hooded, Doctor right. Stokes, Doctor Stokes or Doctor Bay. Sorry, Doctor <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not gonna be overkill, but it's definitely a badge of honor mm-hmm. that I'm gonna wear. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about you, Yola? How does it feel to be in that 3%? Um, well, you know, these stats and the information connects directly to my area of research. And the interesting part is that um, what is even more challenging is when we look at the percentage of black women that make up full professors in the academy, that's 1%, right? So the likelihood that that 3.1% of black women are going to see a black female professor once they get to this level of education is even slimmer. Mm-hmm. And so when you have to then put yourself together and get a committee to write your dissertation and your research is about the black female academic experience, more than likely you will be with a group of faculty members that don't identify as black or female Mm -hmm. or obtaining a terminal degree. Mm -hmm. So the challenges um, that happen in the actual program are represented in the stats. And so it is a an honor to be a part of it, but also this weighted responsibility to then go back and write the research that tells stories that the statistics do not sure. about the black mm-hmm. female yeah. experience at this level of education. And so, like I said, it's mm-hmm. it's an honor. It's it's great, but it's also challenging because mm-hmm. you realize we have to tell our stories sure. and not just tell them by way of blogs, by way of our Insta stories, or even by way of podcasts. And it's great. We have to get back and then write research and scholarship that gets respected by other scholars that gets written in books that gets written in journals so that way our experiences are not told by other scholars that don't know our experiences right yeah right right. i think for me like it much like what you said deja is i'm it's definitely a badge of honor it's definitely something i'm excited about but it's also something that almost feels burdensome especially when you think about three percent whether that is the accurate number or not we all know that it's a small percentage right and so it just feels like when i have those days where it's like i just don't want to do this that percentage makes me feel like i have to keep going because there's just not a lot of people in these spaces who look like us. So mm-hmm. that 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 is my um that's my sentiments on it. And so this leads me to my next question. Before we get into the nitty gritty, um, I just want to take a moment. You guys already introduced yourselves, but I want you to tell people what degrees you currently hold and the area of study in which you're pursuing. So we can start with you, Deja. Mm-hmm. So I currently have a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and Media Studies. Um, I have a master's of education in education, teaching, and administration, and I'm pursuing a PhD in transformative social change. All three of the schools that I've gone to are very white, very old white male centric. Mm -hmm. And so that's like just going back to what Yolanda said about not seeing enough black professors in the academy. That's something that I'm currently dealing with. Um, You know, I've put my committee together and I really had to like scavenge for a black, just one black <laughs> female to be Speak on my on committee. It, Speak on it. Cause like my research is about black children and I'm sitting there having these conversations with my advisor about the things that black children deal with. And she's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm like, <laughs> I don't think you really like <laughs> understand what I'm saying to you. Like, right. yeah. I don't think you get it. But yeah, my entire experience so far in my program has been old white male or old white women. And it's just been very, like, challenging. Mm. Okay. Yolanda, what about you? What degrees do you currently hold, and what is your current area of study? Um, I have a Bachelor's of Arts in Public and Nonprofit Administration, um, and I minored in African American Studies. I have a Master's in Public and Nonprofit Administration as well, and um, my concentration was Leadership of Public Organizations. And now I'm uh, finishing this doctorate in education, leadership, management, and policy. (laughs) Say that three times fast. (laughs) Um, And so my area of focus or study or research, if you will, is um, 
black women obtaining doctoral degrees uh, who have imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. the factors that motivate them to persist through their programs. Mm-hmm. And so my experience is much like Deja's where, you know, at, you know, institutions that were essentially founded for white men. And let's be clear, higher education essentially was mm-hmm. developed for white men yep. to be able to get discipline. Black women didn't obtain a degree from the academy until 200 years after a white man. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we find ourselves as pl- in a place as black women, that we are excelling in, a, in an area and in a system that was never even created for us to have access to is amazing. Yeah, right? Absolutely. And so um, I think about the institution that I'm at now, which is a Catholic institution, I, too, had to do like Deja once I got to the place of looking for my uh, committee members. Um, I have two white females on my committee, and I had to find a black female, Mm -hmm. a black female that had a degree in psychology Mm -hmm. that also did research with imposter syndrome, right? So think about how, like, having to shoot your shot, it gets narrow. It's like, I just need you to be black female. I need you (laughs) to be black female with a a doctorate. I need you to be a black female with a doctorate in this field. The, I mean, the needle in the haystack. And I was shooting my shot on LinkedIn like, hey, sis. And I literally got a black female with a Ph.D. from Columbia Mm. that wind up experiencing imposter syndrome in her program in Columbia and Mm. then in her work in higher education and decided to write a book about it. And I said, here's what my dissertation topic is. Do you mind being the external person on my committee? And she was like, sure. Mm. Dope. That worked out. But it and it worked out. But how many? Like, why did we even have to do that? (laughs) Right, right, right. Bad work. And my school doesn't even allow external. Wild. So I'm just like, okay, if you don't have diversity in your faculty and you're not letting us bring in external people, then where does that leave us? Right. It's very limited. Right. So I do have one black lady on Mm -hmm. my uh, committee who has like a background in what I'm studying. But that was like a needle in the haystack. Mm. Like everyone else is just kind of, you know, just unattached and mm. just, wild. <laughs> yeah. And I guess this leads me to this thought. Like I was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago, and and I, the person I was talking to it was like, "How come when black people, not just women, but mm-hmm. black people in general, they get to this place of pursuing and or obtaining their PhD, and when they're looking for whatever they want to, whatever they want to study in regard to their dissertation, how come it's always something rooted in blackness mm-hmm. or African?" Americans or whatever, or things that affect black children or black women who struggle with impo- Why is it that we're always trying to find a solution um, mm-hmm. in things that affect black people? And my my response was because we're never represented. Right. right? Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about that? It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy because for us to even write our stories, for us to be able to even put our dissertations to, together, we got to quote the theoretical and conceptual frameworks of the white man first before mm-hmm. ours yeah. becomes valid. Mm. Yes, pre. So I'm 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 writing about what makes black women persist at this level of education, but I got to quite quote all the white men yep. and white women mm. that wrote about it, but wrote about it excluding my experience. Wow. Mm-hmm. My my research doesn't become valid until I quote everybody that excluded me, and then I can say, oh, you should include me. Yeah. Which is why we need more people. To Which is write why we got to write about exactly, it for it to exactly. be valid. Because that's the first thing they want to say to us. Oh, you shouldn't write this because it excludes so many other students. And it's like, well, we've been excluded all along. So if we don't write our stories, then it won't be written. Right. right. <laughs> what come first, the chicken right. or the egg, white man? Right. <laughs> no shade. <laughs> and then I think one of the other things that was a struggle, especially for me, like, already being a writer mm-hmm. is writing academically without like putting too much of my own like input in it. Mm. And so when I was working on my literature reviews, I'm just writing what I know. Like I have facts and stats and I have like quotes, but I'm also writing what I know. And then I'm being challenged by what I know right. by my advisor. And she's just like, Oh, well you can't find research to put in there instead of what you wrote. And I'm just like, okay, but I'm talking about the actual experiences of myself as a black educator and the black right. children that I've taught. Right. And so why do I need to then go into like ProQuest and find like, <laughs> oh, let me look for an article of somebody who's saying the same thing that I'm saying, but they, right. because they're published and because, right. you know, they have a PhD or EDD, their word is more valid than mine. Right. And so, their studies will validate what it is that you've already right. come to conclude. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So it, it's so annoying. It right. is. Right. It right. Is. I agree. So next, my next question is, um, once you complete your degree, 
because I'm speaking that over both your life. Well, my life too. Shoot, yeah. I'm in school for yeah. my life. Speak it, speak it, speak Once it. we complete our degrees, um, would you be the only person in your family to hold a doctoral degree? And this is just yes or no. Yolanda? Yep. Deja? Yep. Me? Yes. Okay. And if so, when did you know a terminal degree was even available to you? Like who or what inspired you to feel like you could even attain a terminal degree? Yolanda, let's start with you. Um... I will say in this particular um, experience, I was really spoiled. Um, I was inspired by the black male professors that I had to actually go and attain a terminal degree, right? And so I had an Africana Studies professor, Dr. Wendell Holbrook, um, that really was like the first black man that I that I got a chance to sit in class with. And he challenged us to write a 25 to 30 page paper freshman year in college. We were like, what? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? But what we were learning at that point in time and what he was really preparing us to do was to write on a scholarly level. Mm-hmm. And so if you dropped his class, then you never learned how to not be intimidated by a 25 to 30 page paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but he enforced and really, really pushed us to critically think, um, to understand um, who we are, where we come from, and why it's important to debate. Um, I had other black male professors, one being a, a mentor of mine, Dr. Jermaine Monk, who his he was one of my professors undergrad as well, and he taught a masculinities and education class and really talked about the different masculinities that are taught in education and what it looks like for different ma- males of color and, and how the black man is depicted versus the white man versus the Hispanic male versus the Asian male. And I was like, wow, I'm just so inspired by these conversations that really pushed me to critically think. And so as our relationships evolved, they were like, listen, in order for you to do what you say you want to do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the doctorate is what you got to sure. attain. It's, there's mm-hmm. no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so that's where the inspiration came for me. And I had a black grandmother that always encouraged to get educated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that being my roots and then being watered by the different experiences of, of men of color that had terminal degrees and women of color as well, black women mm-hmm. and black men. Um, I would say my grandmother was a seed and those experiences with them was the water that nurtured the decision. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Deja? So my story is very different. Um, but just going back to what Yolanda said, I also had Dr. Um, Holbrook. I also had Dr. Price. <laughs> so, me, so me and Yolanda went to the same undergrad. <laughs> we did. We did. <laughs> and I'm telling you, like, the Africana Studies Department was popping. It was popping. <laughs> it was. And they made you right. They, they made you right. Yo. Like, Dr. Samatar. Yes. Like, oh, he wasn't playing no games. I had no. Dr. Samatar, too. Yeah, he yep. wasn't playing no games. 25-page comparative race literature. Paper. Right, right. Yep. And so that was really one of the first times, like, I've ever had to write a paper, like, that thorough. But my story is a lot different from Yolanda. I actually didn't have, like, anyone that really inspired me to go towards a terminal degree. Mm-hmm. Um, undergrad, I was just like, okay, I'm graduating from high school. I'm going off to college. And, you know, people really big up first-generation college students. And it's kind of like... Well, like, you made it, right? Like, you graduated, you made it, like, get this degree so you can make your family proud. And so, you know, I got my bachelor's, and I was working in journalism for a little bit. Um, I was struggling because at that time, it was very blog-heavy, and so Mm. people weren't really trying to hire, like, full-time writers. Um, Mm. It was more so freelance. And I was like, well, I can't pay a bill with these freelance change. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, I got to do plan B. And so plan B was going back to get a master's, and I got my master's in education. But after I got my master's, I was just like, I'm done with school. Like, no mm-hmm, more. And everyone's mm-hmm. just like, are you going to get a PhD? Are you going to get a doctorate? And I'm like, mm, no, I think I'm I think I'm good. Like, yeah. I've been at this point, I'm like 22, been in school all my life. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I really thought after I graduated with my master's, like, my life was just going to, like, pick up. You know, I was in a long-term relationship I'm like, okay, school's out of the way. Let's get married. We ended up breaking up. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really deep in my uh, career as an educator, and I got really serious about, like, my focus. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the jobs that I had really prompted me to go back and get a PhD because, you know, it, it was a very oppressive work experience mm-hmm. for, like, myself mm-hmm. as an educator. They just not going in the same place. Yeah, I is laughing, but... <laughs> I had a very oppressive, oppressive like, 
Speak your truth, Dave. Like I had a very oppressive experience as a black educator mm. at a school in Newark. I'm like, how am I teaching black kids? I'm working with a school that's very diverse. So it, it wasn't even an argument of there's not enough black people that work here. I'm working at a school where about 85% of the staff is black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 99% of the kids are black. I'm a black educator. And it was such an oppressive experience. And I just felt like a lot of things that were happening to teachers and to children wasn't ethical, um, mm. probably wasn't legal either. But mm. it's such a, like, it was such a deep brainwash. <laughs> Not wasn't legal. That, <laughs> and, I, and I know a lot of people experience this in their workplaces where you feel like you can't speak up because your job right. is on the line or you can't take care of yourself the way you want to because your job is on the line. And that was kind of how, like, my work experience was. And I started thinking about, like, education policy. Like, what was, like, because I really cared about the Cal teacher kindergarten at the time. And I'm like, these are five-year-olds. Like, these are five-year-olds, and they should not be in a school system like this. Like, this school, they should not be as oppressive for them as it is for me as an adult. And so I was just kind of looking at, I was, like, on Google, and I was like, you know what, I should just go back and get, my doctorate degree you know do a research like go into research education research and policy and so going on deep dive on google and i'm just googling social justice education policy social justice and the list of programs come up for me and i'm like okay i'm gonna do it so it was very impulsive like my experience was it was a very impulsive decision to apply but i applied with like a purpose yeah and so that's kind of where i am now Uh, My topic has changed since being enrolled, Um, but now that I'm in research, you know, there's no more changing. I feel like my topic is just slowly evolving into, you know, what it should be. But, yeah, I guess I was just inspired by, you know, real lived experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's like my method, too. Like, I'm doing narrative studies, and so I'm focusing on people's actual lived experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because schools are very focused on numbers and percentage and data, but they forget the stories that come with that data. Yeah. And a lot of times you'll see that the stories don't match <coughs> the numbers. And so I'm kind of like on this social justice quest of righting wrongs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Dej, you brought I, up one point that I think is important to, to mention that oftentimes we will start in these doctoral programs and have an idea of research mm-hmm. or a subject and it changes. There's nothing wrong with that. Like how people tell you, like undergrad, like, oh, you come in with one major and it's going to change before you leave. The truth of the matter when it comes to the doctoral degree is the Mm -hmm. same thing. I had a totally different topic when I started my program Mm -hmm. and then began to journey through the program and was like, hold up. Yeah, there's a change going to come. So that's also something (laughs) that's also something people need to know because, yeah, because. People will feel like, oh, I'm at this level of education and I got to have it all together. And it's like, no, you're you're looking to be able to be an expert in this field. Yeah. And sometimes you even come into the doctoral program thinking that you got to do research that other people want to do. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the place. That's why I think we as black scholars get to the place where we're like, no, nah, I got to change my subject sure. because mm-hmm. I got to tell our story. Yeah. But it's oftentimes prompted by the experiences you have in your program. Right. But I think, and that's why I think, especially when you're first starting your doctoral program, you kind of have an idea of what you want your dissertation to be. But for me, I always say it's a working document, right? Yeah. Because based on your classes you take, mm-hmm. the, the community you build, like you are, you, you're able to kind of change things. Like maybe this piqued my interest now, or maybe mm-hmm. I want to add this to my area of study or dissertation. And so for me, it's a working document until mm-hmm. it's not. So <laughs> I love it. It's working until it ain't working. Okay. That's um, true. Yeah. That's true. Um, For me, um, so I was adopted, all of you really know that, I was adopted by my aunt who was born in 1933 when black people really weren't uh, exposed to um, education in general. Mm -hmm. And my aunt, which I refer to as Yaya, she had to drop out of school in the 11th grade to tend Mm -hmm. to the field. That was real life in that time. Mm -hmm. And so for me, her raising me education just was not not getting educated was just not an option right Right. and so I knew that I would get a a bachelor's degree and then towards the end of my degree um, my bachelor's degree is in music the the gigs just wasn't popping off and so I'm like let me let me get back in school Mm -hmm. got back in school for a master's 
And then I started to travel a little bit singing and then like gigs slowed down. And that's when I started to teach at a school in Newark. Um, that's where I met Deja. Um, and then I just always knew that I wanted a doctorate degree. I just wanted to complete it. And maybe my reasoning for getting it or getting it or pursuing it is not what you guys reasoning is. And that's, I think that's okay. I just always wanted to pursue a doctorate mm -hmm. because I may pursue this doctorate and decide that I just want to live my best life and be an influencer, but I just want to have it. Mm -hmm. And this degree is in um, educational leadership. And if I am to do anything with this degree, I want to really be um, in the space where I'm able to help change policies that affect black and brown children, especially in urban districts. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of what I'm looking to do and just change laws that really affect our kids on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's what I would be looking to do if I am to do anything with this degree. I just got to share my truth. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. So that being said, so let's get to some of the fun stuff, right? <laughs> how do you guys? <laughs> how do you guys manage relationships, whether it be, whether it be platonic or romantic, while pursuing this degree? Because this degree really monopolizes your time. At least mm -hmm. for, I'm not gonna say at least for me. Facts. All of us, it Facts. monopolizes our time. And so, how do you manage everything? We gonna start with Deja. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so I, first of all, I don't even know what year I'm in in my program. <laughs> I lost count after two. Mm -hmm. But when I first started my program, I was very single, and I was very mingling. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you should. I don't know. I felt one of the biggest pieces of advice that I got from actually a black male who had a Ph.D., he told me that company is very important throughout this process. And he's like, it doesn't matter what kind of company it is. And so with dating, I guess, like, I had an understanding with, like, the types of guys that I would go on dates with that I was in a program. And so I wouldn't, I need to get this paper done before I go anywhere with you. And so, like, it's like you're going to come here, you're going to sit on this couch for a little bit while I meet this deadline. <laughs> right. And then we can go. Right. Um, and so it was, it was just kind of like that. And I didn't really get a lot of, like, pushback around it. But I will say that, you know, sometimes it is very stressful being in a Ph.D. program. And sometimes you do find yourself, um, like, self-isolating because, like, you're so overwhelmed, uh, especially in coursework. You might have, like, four papers due on the same day. Facts. And it's like, Facts. who decided that? Like, we all sit together <laughs> and just say, we're going to do four 30-page papers <laughs> on the same day. Everybody. And so it's like you really don't have time. It's like to your like, professors conspire. Right. Yeah, make their like, life hell. Right? <laughs> Facts. Like you don't have time to do anything. And so at least with my platonic friendships, they were very like understanding. And so instead of going out to a bar, if they knew I was buried in papers, some of them would show up at my apartment with groceries and cook me a meal while yes. I'm working on a paper. Or if I'm working on a paper, they'll just lounge around on the couch just to keep me company, mm -hmm. talking to me and all that stuff. Um, or it'll be like, come over and bring your work with you because I know you got work. And I'm like, all right, let me pack my book bag. I'll be over. <laughs> <My book bag. laughs> but, yeah, so I guess for me, it's just being upfront, like when I am overwhelmed and shut down because I was working full-time when I first started my program. Full-time teacher, like full-time. like Girl, I don't know how you did it. At work at 7 a.m., getting home at 6, and then still having to read and do papers. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. working full-time, being a full-time student, trying to have a social life, sometimes you got to, like, sacrifice one for the other, mm -hmm. and you know you can't sacrifice work. <laughs> <laughs> you know you can't sacrifice school. And so right. it's important to have, like, friends in your life. And even if you are, like, in a relationship – it's important to have people in your life who get it, who understand, and who don't like hold who don't hold it against you when you just yes. can't like be out and about. And mm. so, yeah, that, that's just how I manage. Like I just tell people, like, look, I can't go today because I got paper. Right. You gonna help right. me write this paper? Okay. <laughs> right. I find before we get to Yolanda, I find that when we think about like um, romantic relationships, I find that if you are really like connected to the right person, having mm -hmm. them actually enhances your your experience because it's like, I had a rough ass day and my man is right here with some flowers <laughs> and some food. Like it just, yeah. it enhances it and it gives you, it provides a sense of comfort. At least that's what I feel. True. Like I am in a relationship now. He's very helpful. Like if I have some, like a paper or a deadline due, 
he'll be like, you want anything from the store? <laughs> like, I'll bring you something from the store. <laughs> or if I'm on a Zoom call, like, and I, if I'm at his house and I have to be, get on the Zoom call, he'll set up, like, a little desk area, like, here, you can do this over here so I can disturb you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, thanks. So I, I'm very appreciative of, like, people in my life who understand. And they see the end goal mm-hmm. sometimes when I can't. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, I'm sick of this program. Like, I'm sick of this Come class. On. Come on, Deja. I'm sick Speak of this teacher. It. And they're just like, Deja, like, you're going to be doctor. You're going to... And I'm just like, okay, you're right, you're right. And I think it's important to surround yourself with people who can see the end game. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I don't... I don't know how many times I quit and you guys are further along in your program than me. And I've already quit in my mind like 20 times. And so it's important to surround <laughs> same, yourself with same, same, right? We, every day. Every day. I mean, like, whose idea was this anyway? Right. I think it's important. <laughs> right. I just think it's important to surround yourself with people who can remind you of the end goal and it yeah. kind of keeps you going. All right, Yola, what about you? How do you manage your relationships while pursuing your degree? Um, my experience actually was the opposite of Deja's where I started the program and I was in a relationship. So I took the leap of faith where I left the full-time job to pursue the doctorate full-time um, and got the funding, you know, assistantships, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I can say I think what probably affected my relationship was um, once classes, once I started to get closer and closer to the research component of things, a lot of um, focus on writing more papers. I was also working on a, on a on a book chapter with some other scholars and getting like my first publication out. Um, and then also COVID. So mm-hmm. all of that, all encompassing, and outside starting to open back open a little bit again. Um, I think all of that really kind of shifted the relationship a bit, mm-hmm. and you know, just like our conversations and interactions and things like that. Um, I think also when you're in the first semester, you're taking more of the introductory courses, the Mm -hmm. coursework looks a certain way. Then when you get into your more like research intensive classes and they're starting to really wreck your brain and like, like you both said, those faculty members are hitting you with everybody wants their paper on the same day. (laughs) And then you're also attending class via Zoom now and it's, Mm -hmm. it's all trash. It's all, (laughs) it's all (laughs) challenging. They want you to keep your your camera on. And so all of that, um, (laughs) that's really bothering me. Yeah, it's bothersome. It's bothersome because, you know, um, and I think also what started to happen and why, what really impacted my romantic relationship was my home wasn't sacred anymore. Mm. everything had to happen at home. I had to cook. I had to eat. I had Mm -hmm. to get dressed. I had to be in class. I had to write. I had to, because everything else was closed. And so now the space that maybe might have been a space where we could share, where we Mm -hmm. could talk. After I've been on Zoom all day, I might not want to engage with you. I don't got it for you. I don't got it for you. And now you're not the same female you used to be at the, I'm just keeping it a buck. You're not the same. You don't have the same countenance that you had at the beginning, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So those things shifted and it shifted the relationship. Ultimately, um, I will say that regardless even in dating spaces you still have to let people know what's up mm-hmm. and what you'll be able to see is that even if there isn't a commitment in romance there's still a respect for where you are what you're doing and people the right types of people the right types of partners um, or even dating companions will adjust be understanding and say like okay well when you can take a break let's go grab a bite mm-hmm. or once you've right. accomplished this and you ex- they may not even understand the full grasp of oh man I successfully co- passed my comprehensive exam that's huge or yeah. what um in your program Deja you call it papers yeah we have qualifying you have they have qualifying so getting past like a huge milestone mm-hmm. they may not really understand it but they just know that it's big for you so right. they just be like let's eat right. <laughs> yeah. um and my platonic friendships are are, are, are similar right so you know, Arcia lives right next door to me, so it'd be like, hey, girl, you want to go grab some lunch? Yeah, girl, let's go grab some lunch. Or going to the gym, you know, I have my other, uh, all my girlfriends, um, regardless as to whether they are they have degrees or don't have degrees or whatever field of work they're doing, it's a lot of times like, what's girl time? Mm-hmm. What we doing? We, we putting on our silk pajamas and we coming over to have a glass of wine to talk about what things are going on. Or maybe it's even the decision to say, hey, we're going to get together and nobody's talking about work, school, or anything. Yep. We're going to watch trash TV. We're going <laughs> to eat some shenanigans, whatever is not what's not a part of our diet, and just be. Mm-hmm. And let me, I just want to interject there. The same way I said I feel like romantic relationships can enhance your program. Also, having a strong sisterhood, yeah. um, mm-hmm. strong girlfriends. Um, because there's been plenty of times I'm at Yolanda House. Because, by the way, y'all, Yolanda can cook. I just want y'all to know that. <laughs> but just us having a meal and yeah. not talking about school. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. That is refreshing. Yeah. And that is the fuel 
that will help me get this paper done. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. just having a moment to not be a scholar and just be ratchet if I so choose. Yo. Right? Yo. A gay night. It, it, you know, you yeah. know the shenanigans that be happening at my crib. I'll be like, let's pull out the, well, at Arcea House, it's the Uno cards, right? <laughs> Uno cards get, Uno games get real disrespectful at Arcea crib. She, she don't even let the card hit. Uh-uh, draw two, honey. Draw four. Y'all, let she, me make, or you get Uno, you don't even put the card down. It's like, draw no, two. Uno, yeah, no Uno Here's your two. Yeah. <laughs> but you need those moments where you're not you don't have to show up to that space as a scholar. You don't mm-hmm. have to show up to that space as a professional. You show up to that space as a woman. A woman that needs to be loved on, that mm-hmm. needs to be engaged with, that needs to have a good laugh, the laugh that comes from your belly mm-hmm. to remind you that everything is if it's not all right, this moment it feels all right, and then it's going to be all right. Come on, um, Deacon Jackson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was going to say those those platonic, romantic, and even those mentor relationships are yeah. necessary yeah. Mm-hmm. because they pour into you. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they, they've Ultimately, they've been where you're trying to go. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so they, like, they're reminding you, like, yeah, I remember that hurdle. This is what it was for mm-hmm. me. I remember this challenge. This is what it was for me. And those mentor relationships and even your platonic and romantic friends also your relationship with whatever you deem as a higher power because a lot of times when we're in these spaces it's connected to a spiritual purpose in some form or fashion Mm -hmm. it's connected to like something we believe that we're called to do for others Mm -hmm. and that isn't just in and of yourself that is it's been imparted upon you to do this work Mm -hmm. in a in a passionate way with a purpose that is connected to an impact yeah, absolutely. That's why I said I will never quit. That's why that three point one percent is important. Yeah, mm-hmm. like me, like being the only black person in my cohort, I've realized mm. that there's just like, a like I was telling Arcia, there's a level of resiliency that white people just don't have, mm. and it, it's weird because like they're the higher percentage of PhDs, but from experience. What I've seen is, like, a lot of my cohort have been withdrawing from the program. Mm -hmm. They've been dropping out. And it's like, when the chips get hard, y'all don't know how to, like, navigate and maneuver things. But we, as a community, as black, we've (laughs) always had to kind of make things work. Yeah. Right? Like, we always had to kind of fight for what it is that we wanted because our Mm -hmm. narrow, our our path was never linear. Like, it was always, you know, hurdles. So, um, I kind of feel like, not kind of, like, I feel like we're built for this. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You know? Yeah. That's um, so that's so true, Beige. And I'm glad you brought up like other students and you seeing sometimes your comrades fall off. Yes. And then you're like, Hold up. And it's so much depression <laughs> and group chat and I'm like, Yo I gotta mute y'all. Like, y'all crying, like it's oh, so, the professor told it's me so I don't true. know how to write. I'm like, Okay And well. we they like, told us so, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I like, right. I was told that in undergrad too. Like, okay. Well grad too. We ain't been right we ain't been no good writers ever since, but we here we are in these doc programs. Right in the way. Right in the way. That is hilarious. But um and that leads me to it's funny that you said um just people just not have staying not having staying power, right? Or mm-hmm. just having perseverance. What keeps you going? What keeps you going? When it's like, because I never forget when Yolanda first started her program, she kept asking all her friends who told her to sign up. Like, Girl, you <laughs> they told They Texas every day. Whose idea was this? And, and they were like, you got a mirror? No. <laughs> well, go looking one. Go looking one. What keeps you going? Um, I'll be really honest. Uh, for me, what keeps me going is I, I remember how much I failed. Mm. And so I think about you know, it's connected to faith, but the juxtaposition of my life, like it, it always happens that way, mm-hmm. right? Like my journey is that I came back and became a dean of a program that I failed out of twice at an mm. institution that I flunked out of twice. Mm-hmm. And I just be like, mm, so who better to be a college president than somebody that flunked out of a college twice? Like mm-hmm. I often think mm-hmm. in, you know, pendulum swinging kind of ways. And I know that often is connected to my faith. But for me, the foundation of why I do what I do and why I remain motivated to do what I do is because I know it's God's purpose for my life, sure. period. Yeah. And so since I know that my reputation and Dr. Jackson's reputation is not on the line, but God's reputation is on the line, so it's like, okay, we rocking with you, sir, because this was all your idea anyway. <laughs> right. I'm just here. And yeah. so that ultimately is my motivation, and I think, the things that I've also found out by other black female scholars is that there is a responsibility that we feel to our people. Mm. Yeah. It just, it, it, 
whether it's family, whether it's your community, whether it's the kids, whether it's, you know what I mean, your colleagues, mm-hmm. whether it's to the academy because we're not, our experiences aren't shared enough in scholarship, I got a responsibility to my people. Mm-hmm. And it'll this work will never be separated from that responsibility. Sure, sure, it just yeah. won't. Yeah, yeah. yeah Deja? Um, I feel like this is like my assignment. Yeah. You know, like it wasn't something that I particularly wanted. I was perfectly content with journalism, <laughs> right? I'm like, this is my career. Like I knew I wanted to be a journalist since I was in middle school. Mm. And so I went to high school. I did like our little vocational program in media. Mm-hmm. I get to college. I major in media. And so that was supposed to be my career. Like that was going to be it. But, you know, as you grow and you transform and you cut out all the distractions and you really yeah. lean into, like, your faith and where you're being guided, you end up in places that you never thought you'd be. Mm, that part. In places you probably didn't want. But That part. And Yeah, and, and for me, it's, it's been a struggle. But I think, like you said, like, this is, like, an assignment for me to really lead a charge and bring something that's never been done to my community mm. because like my research is heavily informing my um, capacity to like run a school. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now I am in the process of opening a school in the greater Newark that's area. That's dope. I'm Come on, Dej. Let's stop Thank there. You. Yes. Let's go, Dej. Let's, Let's go, Dej. Let's Thank go, Dej. Period. And it's so crazy. Let me know if you need somebody to get your music um, program Yeah. Together. And okay. you know, my... Like, my research really guided me towards that decision because I've just seen, like, so many different forms of, like, oppression in black education. And it's a historical, like, deeply rooted oppression. So it's nothing new. And I'm just like, we need something different. But, you know, what I'm finding is that what worked for us isn't new. Like, you know, think about Montessori and all that stuff. Those aren't new practices, and those are things that have liberated our people for Mm. years. And so that's where my research kind of shifted when I started teaching kindergarten, because before I was focusing on black girls in the school-to-pipeline prison, I mean, school-to-prison pipeline, sorry. But then I started teaching kindergarten, and I'm like, what about the babies? Because it's not just about black boys or black girls. Like, it's an entire system that's working Mm. like together that keeps our children you know oppressed and really sets them apart in this achievement gap like story that we started spinning Mm -hmm. but yeah like what keeps me going is the children it's like Yolanda said my obligation Mm -hmm. to making sure that our children are set up and that they're they're good like holistically good um and so yeah okay um I just kind of want to go back to the sentiments that I shared earlier in regard to me getting a doctor degree it was just I felt like that's what I wanted to do to complete my education or academic journey. Mm-hmm. I just want to add more clarity so there's no ambiguity here. Like I am making a conscious choice to go to school to get my doctor degree in hopes of being able to change reform and laws that affect black and brown children and also to act as a um, academic leader whether that be a principal or I even I'm even researching provost um, mm-hmm. at um, university so I just don't want anyone to think like oh RC is just doing this like just because like but I also want to be honest with the artsy side. That's really important to mm-hmm. me, which mm-hmm. in entertainment and music and in arts. And so if either one of those pop off, I would be satisfied with either or. So I just right. wanted to, you know, spin the block. I want to give Dej her flowers. So I never forget this one time I was um, attending this um, this panel discussion on social responsibility. And Dej was on a panel with... Um, with a dean from a from our current institution and another woman, um, I believe she had her degree from Harvard. Mm-hmm. And, and I heard you something. ate them up, Deja. Baby! I heard you ate De- them up. Deja, let me tell you something. And so it's interesting because Deja and I have known each other since, like she said, undergrad and college, right? So, um, you know, early 2000s, if you will, right? And mm-hmm. so... It's been amazing. Like when you see one of your like distant like sister friends, you like, oh, you see each other like, hey, girl, hey, girl. Mm-hmm. And you see one another like in the middle phase. Right. Like, you know, every once in a while grabbing some wings from Kill Kenny's yeah. like, hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then to see them like own it 
when you start to see them really walk in their purpose and you can remember like the journey, the moments of time where you had like a, a glimmer of time where like we worked on the black organization of students together at Rutgers mm-hmm. University, Newark. And to see Dej remain committed to that type of work and then be on that panel discussion. And when I tell you like, Dej, you are phenomenal, right? Mm-hmm. And so to see that passion and to see you do so unapologetically, like, yo, I don't care who's on the panel. What I need these people in this room to understand <laughs> is the importance of the work that I do and mm-hmm. why it impacts them and how it impacts them and why it's important to our communities. Mm-hmm. And if we don't start to have these conversations yeah. with the parents, with the supporters of the children, they won't even know that mm-hmm. they need to go into these schools and advocate for themselves mm-hmm. and advocate for resources and support for their for their students. And so when I saw that, Dej, I mean, I was like, look at Dej. <laughs> Look at Dej. Yeah, Dej was super quiet in undergrad. I'd be like, "Hey, Dej." I was always loud. Hey, Dej, and she'd be like, "Hey." I'd be like, "Deja, what's up, girl?" Yeah, when Tim asked me to be on that panel, I was like, I saw the lineup imposter syndrome. I saw the lineup. I was like, "Why am I on this panel?" Like, kindergarten teacher. Like, what do you want me to say? But shout out to Tim. Shout out to Tim. And he's going to be listening because he's like, my girls. (laughs) Shout out to Tim Wynn. Dean Wynn. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, I just just appreciate back to that 3.1%. Because there's truth in that. You know, like that, you can can rest assured that, you know, whatever comes from that 3.1% is authentic black women stories from black women. And I think that's so important. You know, like one of... One of my experiences, um, and I'll never forget, um, I took this class on multiculturalism in uh, America. And one of the questions that my professor asked us was, do we feel like social justice is important to our career fields? Like, no matter what field you work in, do you feel like social justice is important? Right. And, you know, there's a white woman in my class. Mm. And, you know, the first thing they'll do is tell you about all the people of color in their life. And, you know, she's just kind of like... <laughs> to validate the BS they about, about to say. To say right. <laughs> she's just like, well, you know, I've been a therapist for like 10 years and I have clients who are Hispanic. I have clients who are black. I have clients who live in urban communities and all that stuff. But I don't know. I don't think social justice has to be... You know, I just leave that to the people that, that are like social justice fighters. And I'm just like, so you don't think that you being a therapist, like <laughs> helping people of color and their mental health capacity. You don't think that's the act of social justice? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, these are the people that are informing our research. And so when we talk about not getting the proper care or not getting, you know, whether it's like um, medical care for like women of color and our reproductive health or whether it's not getting approved for like that housing loan or, Mm -hmm. you know, just any social system that we navigate, you know, we talk about not getting the proper care in those areas. Just look at the people who are informing the research and the data mm, right. and their way of thinking of about us. Right. So with sharing all these these thoughts um, in regards to your degrees and the reasons behind them, what, what do you say to someone? And it doesn't have to be a black woman. It could be a black man, you know. Yeah. Um, what do you say to them if they're considering if um, pursuing a doctorate degree? Don't tell them it's the ghetto. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I will never discourage it. Like, yeah, no, not ever. at all. Like, I'm a, I'm a peer mentor at my college, and mm-hmm. so I work with incoming students who are in the Ph.D. program, mm-hmm. like, every day. And they come to me with their concerns and their problems, and some of them want to quit. And I'm just like, well, look at the bigger picture. Like, you came here for a reason. You've had interest in doing this for a reason. So what it, what would be the end goal for you? Sure. Like, when yeah. you're when you're wanting to quit, like what are you walking away from when you quit that is gonna like take you off your path? Mm-hmm. And so when people come to me and they're just like, I'm thinking about doing it, I'm just like, do it. Yeah. Like don't think about doing it. That's what you said to me, because like, I sent you mad texts. <laughs> you did. I was like, if you don't apply <laughs> <laughs> apply to that school. Right, yeah. right. What about you, Yola? What would you say? Um the same thing do it you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like like at the end of the day when we talk about that 3.1 percent and then even when we extend it to look at like black males as well all encompassing Mm -hmm. there's more seats at the table there's room for more Mm -hmm. right it's not just like all we got room for is this 3.1 percent no we got room for far more Mm -hmm. and so 
as long and and I think in me and Arcia had conversations, other folks that have had conversations when it comes getting into the doctorate, it's like, all right, yeah. again, to Deja's point, connected to a purpose, because the purpose is what pulls you through. Yeah. Sure. Them days when you don't want to do it, your when why. you're reminded, when you're reminded every day, like, all right, this is connected to a larger purpose. Mm-hmm. This is connected to what it is that I want to do. And, and oftentimes, like, in our communities, when we get these levels of degrees, it's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's a tool to do the work that you want to do. And if mm-hmm. you remember that it's That's a true. tool, all right, remember, it's just a tool. It's sure. just a tool sure. to that you use to do your life's work. Mm-hmm. So yeah. don't make it bigger than it has to be. Like, you will go into those classrooms, and they will make you feel like, oh, my goodness, this is something mm-hmm. that is impossible. You can't do it. Nah, it's a tool. I'm glad that you said that because I feel like a lot of people struggle with or grapple with the idea of going back to school to pursue a terminal degree because it's intimidating or it can appear to be intimidating. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we need to have these conversations. We need to tell people, it's some days where I want to quit. It's mm-hmm. some days where mm-hmm. I struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yep. some days where I don't understand this 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 stuff that I'm reading yep. um, because it's uh, some of this stuff is just... It's just written in such a snobbish way. I never forget I had a professor and she had um, recommended a book for the class. She was like, you know what? I don't want you guys to read this book. It's just so snobby, like reading it, like you feel stupid. Read like I don't like I had to read this literature at least five times to kind of comprehend mm-hmm. what was happening mm-hmm. here. And so when you think of all of that, the totality of pursuing a doctorate degree, it can feel intimidating. Yeah. And so that's why I really wanted to have this conversation. So mm-hmm. people, if you feel tired. You're, that's on brand. If you yeah. feel overworked, that's on brand. For it. That's yeah. the other yeah. thing people don't talk I'm about. I'm in school for free. Okay, Hallelujah. because I and I am. You know, I'm a full supporter of like, man, don't pay for a degree after the bachelor's. Like, that's just <laughs> I what had to it pay is. For that masters, what it <laughs> is. But this doctorate, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> because yeah. and and unfortunately, what happens is we miss out on a lot of opportunities because what we see is the price tag, not recognizing that. The, that the academic departments and divisions have pools of money mm-hmm. waiting there mm-hmm. to award students with. But we see the tuition costs. We're like, oh, man, I can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. It's not something that I, that's in my grasp. Or we don't know that our employers will pay for tuition yeah. and reimburse you for different things or even not even reimburse you. You just send them your bill and they, they take care of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or... Once you get to this level, the truth is, is that there are fellowships, there are scholarships. Mm-hmm. You gotta go searching and researching Graduate for them. assistantships, assistantships, yep. all of those different types of things. But once you get admitted to the programs, um, or even start to even go attend the open houses, ask about funding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ask, mm-hmm. and oftentimes they'll tell you like, "Oh, we have funding for X amount of students if they want to come in on a full time basis." Um, we don't have to be afraid at this level to recognize that we don't want the debt that can come associated with the terminal degree. It doesn't have to be the case. Sure. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. the case. I'm glad you brought up that point about funding. Mm -hmm. So guys, we're getting to the end of this podcast. This is, how do you guys feel? You feel all right? Yeah, yeah I'm gonna say talk back to me now. We, we gonna break bread after this. We That's good. what we yeah, said. We, we said, get a little, we said we'll yeah. get a little bite to eat. A little bite to eat, a little drinky drink. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, which leads me to my next question. And I think we kind of touched on this already, but how do you unwind? I know for me, I love a little spa trip. Mm-hmm. Um, I love just to hang out with my girlfriends. Like tonight after I have dinner with her, I really want to go see Macbeth. Like I like doing stuff like that by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? How do you guys unwind? Um I shut it all down. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've gotten into a habit of purposely shutting things down. Like mm-hmm. get off the computer, put that paper away. Like mm-hmm. put the articles away. You're not about to read nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> and I've started. Um, so I've become obsessed with like historical fiction, mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. romance books. You know, I call them the auntie books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, my aunt got them little um, <laughs> so them little Lorraine Heath books. Yeah, and, all that stuff. <laughs> and so I started Come reading on, those. <laughs> so I love those books. Um, so I I read a book, mm-hmm. give me some wine, or I'll call a friend. What you doing? Let's go get something. Let's mm-hmm. go out. Let's do something. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I unwind or I sleep. Like sleep, sleep. is like my friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like sleep is just sleep really solves a lot of problems. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> you got an yep. attitude, sleep. Yep. You got a paper do sleep. sleep. Yep. <laughs> yep. You got on your nerves. Sleep. sleep. Okay. Yep. What about boss, like your Boston sent you an email that made you mad? Don't sleep. even respond to it. Right. Sleep. Sleep. Just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. <laughs> 
<laughs> what about you, Yola? How do you unwind? Um, I'll wander. Mm-hmm. I, like I really, I'll really do some things that allow me to not take myself so seriously. Because mm-hmm. this work makes you, you got, you feel like you got to be yeah. serious all the time. You always got to have the yeah. right, the the right statistics, the right argument, have quoted <laughs> yeah. the right. You got to be serious it all can the be time. Exhausting. All it's time. wild, and so I just wander. Like if that means like. I'm going to go and look for somewhere random to eat or an art gallery, a show, a museum, an exhibit, live music. Um, and I mean wander, like literally wander. Like I might get on a flight <laughs> like and find myself somewhere else wandering. Like, Yolanda, where you at? Puerto Rico? Where, girl, where you tell me? I'll be out. She just show up four days later, dark all. I'm like, girl, where you been? I show up with a tan. Like, girl, where you been at? Um... And even when I when I do travel or wander, you recognize um, in wandering you'll see certain things like, and I know this get this about to get real deep, like unnecessarily, but sometimes just going if you go into the city and you see structures that are so much huger than you, mm-hmm. you be like, man, the things I be stressing about, like yeah. there's so many things that are much larger than me and not in my control, and even the things that I got going on aren't in my control, so I should enjoy this thing called life. Or, yeah, you travel to another country or you travel to another state or you experience different things and you eat where the locals eat. You live where they live or stay where they stay. And then Mm -hmm. you recognize, like, man, I'm really blessed and I should count my blessings. Or, man, I need to see way more of this world. And you know what? Going back to do what I got to do with this degree will afford me the opportunity to do that. And so wandering it kind of gives you that nudge and that reminder of what you're doing. So in the same way, it's disconnecting. But it's disconnecting to reconnect. I love that. Disconnecting to reconnect. Yeah. Well, ladies, I I am just so grateful that you accepted the invitation to be on a note from Stokes. And you know we got to end it on a high. So I have some fire questions that I'm going to (laughs) ask. Rapid fire questions. And you cannot think. You just have to respond. Okay? Okay. All right. So let me get my shit together. Let me pull it up first. Okay. (laughs) Text or call. Y'all thinking of a way? What? I you gotta know, just sorry. answer. I'm trash with both. <laughs> I'm light skin with the text. Oh and my god! Text. And no, but, no, but what do you prefer? Oh, the text to call. Oh, call. Text. Call. Oh, you're the text. Yeah. They should like don't call me. Nah, I'm like call. I get mad. My phone rings. For real? Nah, I prefer. Mom stay on D and D. Yeah, I'm a mission text. I, yo, I'm terrible with the text. I'm mad light skin, even though I'm chocolate. <laughs> What's your favorite holiday? Christmas. Fourth of July. First of all, y'all are bombing it. You can't think. That means there can't be no pause after I, I ask the question. Fast. You did, Deja. Yolanda, I said 4th of July. No, Yolanda always here in deep thought. Let me I'm, think I'm, li- I'm thinking to listen to the question. Uh, okay, That's on my please. head now. All right, all right. Let me. What's your favorite season? Fall. Spring. Favorite dessert? Chocolate. Creme brulee. Mm. Favorite animal? Cats. I don't like animals. Cats. Mm-hmm. You don't like animals, Yolanda? Mm-hmm. Nah, they could go. Not good. Don't please don't have Peter um, nah, emailing me. Okay. Nah, I don't want. Nah, not like that. I just they could go for my life. Like I'm happy to see the animal whisperers. Shout out to all of y'all that like pets and stuff. I'm done. My daddy ain't let me have no pets as a kid. Whisperers. Oh my god. <laughs> what chore do you absolutely despise doing? Laundry. Mopping. Laundry. Somebody else. Somebody else do it. Yolanda felt that in her spirit. Okay. <laughs> I sent my job away. Favorite color? Green. 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 Oh my god. That's my favorite color too. Green. You like green, you like green too? Yeah, oh. green is our favorite color. Oh, MG, come on, green girls. Favorite beverage? Seltzer water for me. Tequila. Coffee. Oh, wait, we doing non alcoholic or alcoholic? Yeah, because that's the difference. Me for me it's coffee. I love mm. Ew. I love it. I do. I do. Deja went straight. She said tequila. <laughs> we all being seltzer water coffee. I like coffee because I think I will start every morning with a cup. Well, alcoholic, I do like a Moscow mule. Yeah. Excuse me, Moscow mule. Um, last question. Um, if you could be a Disney character, which one would you be? <laughs> Princess Tiana. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yes, because yes. she wore the green dress. Yeah, yes. green. Up in a yeah. bun. And she's the only black one. Black princess, right? Okay. What about you, Deja? It'd be Princess Tiana. Yeah, and I'm be. taking her too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe Milan. I love I love me Milan. I ain't gonna I hold do you. I too. But Princess mm-hmm. Tiana was also in New Orleans, so I, I need a, I need a beignet. Yeah. I need, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I need I need, I need some gumbo. Yes, you know gumbo. That is funny. Well, what Yolanda? Where can the people connect with you? 
Oh, man, I'm on the gram, uh, Miss Bright Future, M-S-B-R-I-T-E Future. So you can follow me on Instagram. I also have a lifestyle blog. Um, so it's called The Style of Life. So The Period Style of Life, that's on IG as well. Um, and, yeah, that's where you guys can find me. Where can they find you, Deja? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Deja L. Jones. So... She like that's all y'all get. That's it. <laughs> I mean, you can find me on Twitter too. It's you just, know what I'm saying? I'm same. on LinkedIn and Twitter, but who really like, want to connect with the right, fuck? So, right. You know what I'm saying? I'm on LinkedIn if you want to send me a job or something. You know what I'm saying? Right, you want to co-write okay. something? You right. want a publication? Hit me up. I'm on. I'm on LinkedIn. That yeah. looks funny. I'm on Twitter too. It's the right. same handle. Yeah. Really my Twitter is no not more. professional at all. So Mine if y'all want, either. if y'all want a key key, then follow me. But if not, <laughs> keep it on Instagram. Okay. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. It is my hope that you guys were able to take something away from this episode and that you connect with the two ladies who um, were here today and just kind of share their insights. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please connect with us on Instagram at a.notefromstokes or just comment and rate and share this podcast with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. 